power of jobs. Okay. Okay, so I'll, I'll first begin by talking about what Joppa actually is. You know, that's my academic uh, problem. So in the Sanskrit dictionary, there, or in Sanskrit, there is a verb, jap, from which you get the word japa. It's a simple noun form from this verb. And the verb jap means to utter in a low voice, to whisper or mutter, especially prayers or incantations, uh, to pray, to whisper repeatedly. So, um, that's what the word, that, that's the origin of the word. And then the word japa itself, obviously it means muttering, whispering, muttering prayers, repeating in a murmuring tone and, and passages from scriptures or charms or names of deity and so on. So it's obviously in contrast to kirtan, which is out loud and, and so on. So, um, one thing which is very striking about Japa is that although Prabhupada taught us many different spiritual practices, such as studying sacred texts, and especially his purports to those texts, uh, doing kirtan, you know, gathering among ourselves with musical instruments, chanting and dancing, and uh, Sankirtan, doing this in a way so the public can also benefit. Um, and uh, listening to classes, studying, I mean, uh, Shastra, Dhyayana, studying scriptures is a very ancient process. It's mentioned in the Gita. And so studying these books and then teaching them to others and offering food to Krishna and then partaking of that food. Um, there are many spiritual processes which together uh, form a, a complete and powerful practice of bhakti yoga. However, interestingly, when Prabhupada initiated people formally into the practice, when he formally accepted them as disciples, although he had taught many different spiritual practices, he only required them, his initiates, to promise one thing, and that was to chant Japa. And of course, we chant 16 rounds a day. So to understand the importance of Japa and why we do it, why it's so important to do it, I'm going to give my own analysis of why Prabhupada only asked us to do that one thing. And um, of course, there are four things we don't do for um, sort of uncivilized activities that harm ourselves and others. But apart from the negative things, the things you don't do, the do's and don'ts, Prabhupada asked us to chant Japa. And so here's how I understand why Prabhupada did that and why it's so important to chant Japa. Um, <clears throat> we find a powerful theme in Bhakti Yoga, which Prabhupada taught a lot which to use Prabhupada's word, the, the art of dovetailing. And what Prabhupada meant by that is that, you know, it's kind of like uh, using judo on your own material attachments in the sense that let's say if someone came to Prabhupada and they were 
I don't know, really attached to eating, which is, you could say, a bodily attachment. So Prabhupada didn't say, no, don't eat or don't eat delicious preparations. He said, offer it to Krishna. In fact, Prabhupada himself, who was a, an expert cook, he was an expert at many things, but Prabhupada was an expert cook. He prepared very delicious feasts for the public, for his own disciples and others, so that without giving up something they were attached to, namely eating tasty food, they could dovetail that, they could somehow engage that propensity in the practice of bhakti yoga. And of course, we came from uh, the rock and roll generation, whatever happened to the rock and roll. And so Prabhupada encouraged us and engaged us in these really rocking kirtans. You know, we had drums. Prabhupada was also <laughs> the best mridanga player I've ever heard in my life. He was actually expert at that. But so Prabhupada, you know, gave us these drums. He gave us cartels, other instruments. And we used to rock out for Krishna. So, so in many ways, or for example, if someone, let's say, was a reader, someone was interested in reading and philosophy, Prabhupada gave us so many books of philosophy. So I mentioned this because this is a, a, a common theme, which goes back, of course, thousands of years. It's not something that Prabhupada invented. The idea that uh, here you are in the material world, here you are inside a material body, you're trying to transcend that, you're trying to realize yourself as an eternal soul, and yet we all have desires because we have bodies, and so try to engage your propensities in spiritual life. For example, uh, your vocation, your profession, whether you like to do business or you're an artist or a teacher or you know, whatever, if you like to uh, manage things, then there is a varna for you. There's a, there's a type of devotional service that you can do to engage your professional or vo vocational propensities. Now, the reason I'm mentioning all this is because, in a sense, the, the one spiritual activity which in some ways least lends itself to that process of dovetailing is japa. I mean, if you, if you compare Japa to Kirtan, um, you know, who doesn't love to party, to get together with friends and you dance and there's music. I mean, I was doing that, well, sure, like many of you, since uh, at least since middle school. And uh, in fact, when I used to drive with Prabhupada for his morning walk at Rancho Park, we would literally drive right past the houses where I used to go to parties when I was a kid on Motor Avenue in Chevy Hills. So... But let's look at Japa. You, you know, you have some beads and you chant the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. So unlike, say, Prashanam, there's no food service associated with Japa necessarily. There are no musical instruments. You're not doing it with your friends. You're not dancing, which is fun, even if you're not a devotee. Uh, you're just sitting down or standing or walking and just chanting this mantra in low tone of voice. And as we know, if you, if you speak in a very low tone of voice, it's a little harder to focus. So, so what I see is that japa, 
is one devotional activity that you cannot really fake. I mean, I've been in Kirtans, if you know, true confessions here, true Vaishnav confessions. I've been at many Kirtans where the, where the devotees were like, you know, dancing, especially the guys, they get a little, what's the word, primal sometimes. And they're, you know, like running around, jumping and banging on the drums. And to be honest, it doesn't really remind me of Krishna. It's just kind of this primal, you know, thing. And so, or eat. I mean, as we know, even if you're, you're not having your most Krishna conscious day, if someone says, hey, you want this, want some of this great feast? It's like, okay. It's not that you have to really be in higher consciousness to <laughs> sit down with a nice, delicious plate of spiritual food and kind of do what devotees do best. So, but if you think about japa, where's the material payoff? Where's the material reward? Uh, not much. I mean, some people, I know sometimes people just want to sit down and kind of meditate for a little while, but, but then again, Prabhupada asked us to chant 16 rounds, and we know there are many uh, schools of meditation, Buddhist or otherwise, some related to the Hindu culture. So there, there are many different meditational products out there on the market, but you don't do it that long. In fact, usually as a concession to the very impatient modern people, uh, you know, it can be a five-minute meditation or a 10-minute meditation, but sit down for an hour and a half, two hours and chant the Hare Krishna mantra. You have to really be there spiritually. If you're not really there spiritually, it's going to be very hard to do. And another thing is that in terms of the glory of Japa, it is our personal, private, quality time with God. And if you think about it, when Prabhupada is here, I think, you know, for most of us, our greatest wish would be to just spend time with Prabhupada, not only to be in Prabhupada's presence on a morning walk or in a class, but if you could actually just be alone with him and spend quality time with him, uh, that was something very, very special. <clears throat> and yet, Prabhupada is inviting us to spend quality time with Krishna. It's, it's just like when Krishna married 16,108 queens in Dwarka. However, technically, he was monogamous because Krishna expanded himself into 16,108 forms and it wasn't just like photocopies, like in every palace, Krishna was like doing the same thing. It wasn't, <clears throat> Krishna actually was personally, privately, intimately, exclusively present for every one of those queens. And in this, so it was actually monogamous, but just 16,108 times. And so if you compare that, just as Krishna was in his palaces with, with different queens, Krishna, in your heart, is only there for you. Even though Krishna is everywhere, and uh, you know he's, you know he's, he does a lot of very amazing things that no one else can do, like omnipresence. You know, try omnipresence and see how far you go. But so Krishna is actually Krishna is actually everywhere, and yet in your heart, 
He's only there for you. And he's only listening to you and he's only waiting for you to turn to him. So, uh, so therefore, when we, when we chant Japa, that is, in a sense, it, it, it's the most important time of our life because we have this private quality time with God. And a very important thing is that Krishna, God, is actually the only person in the universe that perfectly understands you. So, you know, he's the one person you can never fake out. And so let's say if that you've really done the right thing. There's some kind of situation and you did the right thing, but the world doesn't know that or recognize it. The world thinks you did the wrong thing, which happens a lot in this world. The one person in the universe who perfectly understands your intention what you did and why you did it is Krishna. I've had personal experience in my life without going through my checkered history that there were times in my life when uh, all kinds of people, including you know fellow spiritual practitioners thought very bad things about me. And yet I knew what my intention had been and what I really did. And I knew that I was being misunderstood. And amazingly, it was at those times in my life when I was most misunderstood and blamed for things that I hadn't really done, that Krishna showered his blessings on me. That just amazing things happened in my life. And I understood very well that Krishna was telling me, you know, I don't care what anyone else knows or doesn't know, I know. And conversely, you know, there are times when everyone thinks I'm doing a great job and I know that I actually did something I shouldn't do and I can't escape <laughs> the long arm of the law. So even if everyone thinks you're doing great, Krishna knows if, if you've done something wrong and, you know, there's a, we have to pay for that. So in sort of in an educational, uh, beneficent, ultimately beneficent way. So so Krishna is the one person that knows you perfectly, as the saying goes, better than you know yourself. As we know, there are people in the world who think they know us better than we know ourselves, and they are the most insufferable people we know. But in the case of Krishna, in the case of Krishna, he actually knows us better than, than we know ourselves. And so when we chant Japa, here's our chance to just sit down with Krishna or walk around or whatever you want to do. And just talk to a person, communicate with the person that knows you perfectly and has always been there, has always been there for you and always will be. It's interesting, Krishna, as he explains in the Gita several times, is in our hearts. And if you think about it, it's the one relationship that you can't break. As we know, we have all kinds of relationships, some more intimate than others, and sometimes we want to get out of a relationship and, you know, we always know there are ways, there are exit clauses. And sometimes uh, we just treat people in a certain way that they want to get out of the relationship. And so um, relationships in this world, sometimes they go well and sometimes they're broken. 
And so and a lot of times when they're broken, you know, it's like it's the Humpty Dumpty syndrome. You can't put them back together again. But interest, interestingly, Krishna's in our hearts, and there's nothing you can do to get him out of your heart. You know, he'll help you to forget him if you're, you know, unfortunate want to forget Krishna. <clears throat> but if you decide, I don't want Krishna in my heart. I don't want God in my heart. Therefore, I'm going to be so obnoxious, so offensive that he's just going to leave. You can't do that. It's like when you're a little kid, you're a little kid, you know, and you sometimes you get mad at your parents, but they just, you know, they don't stop loving you. So Japa, Japa is not a public event. It's not a social event. It's just you and Krishna. And so therefore, in a sense, Japa is a good barometer of how we are doing spiritually. And again, that's the one thing that Prabhupada insisted that we promised to do. And now maybe a word on promises. Uh, the word devotee comes from a Latin root, devoto. Voto means a vow, or like, for example, in English, to be a votary of something means a person who has made, such as a monk or nun, who has made vows of dedication to religious service. So the word votary, I mean, the, the idea of voting, when you vote for someone, it means you're supporting them, you're, you're giving yourself to their cause. And so uh, that's from the Latin voto, and all those words come, of course, from Sanskrit. And the Sanskrit word is vrata, vrata, which is voto, which is vow. And uh, anyway, just a little word on uh, historical uh, phonology, which I know fascinates all of you. And that is that often when you see how, um, how language has sort of come down through history, uh, there's a tendency to simplify speech. And one of the ways that speech is simplified is by eliminating what are charmingly called consonant clusters like a bunch of consonants together. So to give an example, how Bengali, which is sort of the language of, of you know, the Gaudiya Vaishnavas, how it simplifies some Sanskrit words to eliminate clusters of consonants. For example, a one common word we have, which has two, anyway, I won't go into all the technical phonetics, but two hard consonants is bhakti, because K and T are both sort of hard consonants, bhakti or bhakta. So to sort of soften that, uh, in Bengali, they'll say bhakata. They'll add a, they'll add a vowel, bhakata or bhakati. And just to, uh, and I'm actually getting to a point about, about the original topic of devotion. But um, similarly, take the word kshetra in Sanskrit, which means field. And, and it's used... In the same way field is used in English, it can mean literally like a cornfield, or it can mean like a field that someone's in, a field of activity. And so um, there you have three consonants. You have K, S, uh, and H, K, S, H, Kshetra. And so to simplify that in Bengali, they eliminate the middle consonant, the S, and they say Ketra. That's where that comes from, actually. Interestingly, to keep the H, it's Ketra. They say Ketra, 
or um, what's the other word Prabhupada said all the time? Um, oh, God, slipped my mind. Um, oh, Pariksi. There was a great king, Pariksi. Same thing, KSH. So in Bengali, they'll say Pariksi. So in that same uh, pattern of simplifying or eliminating consonants that are together, you can see how in Latin, the Sanskrit word vrata, where you get a V and an R, they take the R out and you get voto. So it's just a simple case of simplifying, eliminating two consonants together. So anyway, so that's the word vrata and, um, and a common uh, epithet, the praise in the Bhagavatam, it's used for Vyaste, for example, is to say that someone is dridhavrata, literally a person of firm vow. They keep their promises. I mean, so, you know, someone who keeps their promise. And so one of the ways they say that in Sanskrit is dridhavrata, someone firm in their vow. So, um, and I was talking about this in a recent initiation when I was, uh, you know, accepting several new clients. I'm sorry, disciples. And that is that... Um, trying to be modern in my language, you know, so, and I was making the point that uh, keeping your word, entering into formal agreements and keeping your side of it is really literally what makes the world go round. If you think about it in a marriage, in a business contract, in, uh, in everything, for example, the Jewish people are known as the people of the covenant, and a covenant is a contract. And in fact, scholars have analyzed the Ten Commandments that if you analyze it structurally in terms of what the commandments are, what order they're in, that it actually follows the, the, the normal structure of an ancient Middle Eastern contract. And it's a covenant. So, and even for example, in modern contracts where you, you first identify okay, there's this person, there's that person, you know, if you're renting or buying a house or, or whatever. And so, you know, the first commandment, I am, you know, the Lord, your God who brought you out of e Egypt, you know, and so, so, you know, this is who I am, this is who you are, and this is what, and, and so the covenant's a contract. And so in all things, keeping your word, keeping your covenants, your contracts actually makes civilization possible. I mean, you're driving your car, let's say, you know, maybe 35, 40 miles an hour, and you see a green light. And you just, you keep going. Of course, if, you know, if you're in Los Angeles, you accelerate. But anyway, so you see a green light. And um, now you are literally staking your life. You are staking your life on your belief that other people will keep their social contract. In other words, if you have a green light, someone must have a red light. And the people who have a red light are actually going to stop. And you're, you're, you're betting your life on that. You're betting your life that uh, the people who give driver's licenses did not give a license to a colorblind person who has not corrected that problem. You're betting your life on, on the fact that whoever is in charge of keeping the traffic light in working order 
has done their job and the traffic lights are actually working properly. So every time you go through a light like that, you are betting your life on the social contract. So whether it's a community, whether it's a community or a society, civilization is impossible unless people keep their covenants, unless people keep their word. And so Prabhupada asked us to make a vrata, a vow, that uh, we would avoid certain inappropriate activities and we would um, chant japa. And so I, again, I think it's very interesting that Prabhupada identified, uh, singled out this particular activity as, in a sense, the um, a testament to the fact that his disciples were still, still serious about their spiritual lives. You don't have to be serious about bhakti yoga to come to a Hare Krishna feast. And you don't even have to be that serious to sort of sing and dance. And, you know, I mean, you have to have a little interest in Krishna, but it's, you know, it's fun. But to chant japa, yeah, you, you have to be really serious about your spiritual life. So, and again, I, I don't want to repeat everything I've already said, unless you want to make me an offer I can't refuse, then maybe I'll repeat it. But so it really is, it really is our private quality time with Krishna. And it's, it's a way you can sort of measure yourself to measure your own attachment to Krishna or your own determination to develop attachment to Krishna. So perhaps I'll stop there and leave time for any questions that you may have. Thank you very much. Again, thanks to my old friend, Nanda, for kindly inviting me. And also, I, I just have to say a few words that um, I think we should all be very proud of Nanda because he has taken on a very, very important responsibility, actually a responsibility of historical importance as a leader of the Sabha. And I'm very proud to be probably the only person in the Hare Krishna movement that pronounces that word properly on a regular basis. But anyway, so he's, he's, um, oh my God, anyway, let me just get rid of that real quick. So um, yes, he's doing very responsible service uh, of historic importance. He has one of the leading roles actually in the Hare Krishna movement. And I think he's doing it very importantly, very responsibly and very intelligently. So I think we should all be grateful to him for that. So at this point, uh, any questions that you might have? Well, let, let me just tell this person that. Yeah, I'm in the middle of a program, I'll call you back, okay? That's a uh, very nice person who's actually the leader of a, of a similar, of another spiritual movement. They follow the same principles we do. So any questions, please uh, be happy to take a whack at it if you have a question. Oh, your, your, your thing is muted, so.
Okay, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, Who else has questions? Oh, can we get some uh, paper towels? That's the first question. I spilled my water, so we need some. <laughs> can you get some paper towels, Marsh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll probably take me about an hour and 15 minutes, and I'll be right there with the paper towels. <laughs> First question is, is how is it how, did, how is it you, uh, <clears throat> that you have that phone in your garden? Oh, this house actually is my Yukta Vairagya house. It is actually the house where Jane Austen wrote all her novels. And uh, she has helped me immensely in learning to write. I hope I've learned to write. And just in general, how to be a gentleman for Krishna. And so I feel a real, she was actually a, a Guru Kuli, nice to keep Brahman Charani Guru Kuli. But uh, so, yeah, so I feel real, a real debt to Jane Austen. And um, so I have her house there, just uh, I think probably in the Hare Krishna movement is a unique uh, background. My first question is that some people say that when we chant, in it so-called inattentively um, that it's offensive to the holy name and my argument is better to chant than not to chant at all yes absolutely and then they say well yes but better to do four quality rounds instead of 16 inattentive rounds and my response is well then i wouldn't be keeping my brat exactly so, um, but it doesn't seem to satisfy those that say that the quality is more important than the Yeah, basically, basically it doesn't satisfy those who are looking for an excuse not to chant 16 rounds. So, so the way, the way I look at it is this, what you said, I mean, you, you really put your finger on it that, um, I'm, I promised Prabhupada I would do something. And I think there's great spiritual benefit in keeping your promise. As, as you say, I mean, that's the first point you've made. Secondly, I think people, I mean, if someone, why not just say, why not take a humble position? You know, in ISKCON, we talk about humility, but why not take a humble position and say, at this point, I'm just, you know, I'm a fallen soul, and this is what I can do. And I would love to chant 16 good rounds, but this is just what I can do now. And, and it's, you know, it's because of my own lack of spiritual advancement, and so I'm trying my best. What about those that, I mean, I've often heard those say, um, that they don't feel anything when they're chanting. They don't have any, they don't have any, you know, feelings of uh, affection. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's a very simple corollary. If you're chanting japa not feeling anything, it's because Krishna is not feeling anything from you. Because Krishna says that I reciprocate. So if I'm chanting and not feeling anything, don't blame God and don't blame the process. Just, you know, take a moment and think, why is Krishna not feeling anything from me? Am I really being sincere? So Krishna is just holding a mirror up to us. So again, the solution to not feeling anything is to try to convince Krishna that I really care about him. 
And if, and if Krishna starts to feel some real devotion from me, then we will feel something from Krishna. Um, some people have cited devotees in, during Prabhupada's presence as being completely consumed by service and that Prabhupada sometimes has given them license to in the in the words what can you do in the in the fact that they couldn't finish their 16 rounds for that yeah yeah so yeah so someone was let's say i mean we know even i'm sure we know some people common acquaintances that um Prabhupada knew that if he got in their case they wouldn't do the service and they wouldn't chant. And actually, Prabhupada was following Krishna himself in the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 12, where Krishna says, if you can't follow all the practical, you know, practice, all the practices, then at least work for me. So Prabhupada saw that these people, this is what they're able to do. So he gratefully accepted what they were able to offer. And um, some people, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm a some person, so you know, I would have, may have these questions, may not, uh, say that if you're chanting, um, that eventually you will feel it. it. It will come just because you're making the effort. Yeah, but 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 then again, what I mean, you could say the effort is just to physically stay. But but why not make the effort to please Krishna? Well, they're they're doing service. They're a book distributor. They're a pujari or whatever. I know, but I'm saying I'm saying if if you chant at all, well, you're saying people that don't chant, you're saying if they do the service, they'll get a taste for chanting. Yeah, so you get engaged in the service, you know, you, you give them a lot of prasadam first, then you give them the service, and eventually they'll understand the necessity for taking up the rock. Yeah, I, I, think, I think some people are kind of just non-Japa chanters because it's, um, you know, and of course there's that very famous teaching that there are nine processes of devotional service, so if you can do all of them or one of them, and so there is that well-known offer that if you can do any of the devotional processes well, then eventually you'll come to Krishna. And, and of course, then again, we have the, um, what do they call it, Kripa Siddha. You know, some people just can't really do the normal practice of bhakti yoga, but they are sincere, they're very sincere, they try their best, and therefore Krishna gives them his mercy. So there's sadhana siddha, but then there's kripa siddha. So, and my last question is: Some people think that by chanting 24 rounds, 32 rounds, 64 rounds a day, that they are more advanced than those who chant 16 rounds a day, and that therefore they're making more advancement by chanting more rounds. Because it is true that Prabhupada gave us kind of an open-ended number. He said 16 is the minimum. Yes, but Prabhupada, I mean, if, if one devotee came to see Prabhupada and said, Prabhupada, I'm chanting 64 rounds, and another devotee said, Prabhupada, I'm chanting 16 rounds, but I'm spreading your movement dynamically, guess who could please Prabhupada the most? 
And I mean, overwhelmingly more. There's no question. In fact, Prabhupada spoke very strongly against the Babaji tendency. And basically, Prabhupada kept saying, we have a planet to save. So if you're content to amuse yourself by chanting lots of rounds while the world goes to hell, I mean, clearly you haven't even come to the second class platform yet. If someone can chant, you know, 50 rounds a day and be a Kanishtadi card. Third class devotee. I mean, if you, for example, if, if someone that you love cries out for help, you say, sorry, I'm chanting. So now I'll, I'll, I'll give up my, my position as inquisitor and uh, Duktapan would like to ask a question. Duktapan Prabhu. I wondered if you felt, thank you. I was wondering if you felt or feel it's helpful to remember Krishna's pastimes while chanting, if that might awaken more uh, you know, devotional mood at your chanting job. I would say that if, if that encourages you, definitely do it. You know, some devotees chant, sort of remembering the need to serve Prabhupada. Some devotees chant, remembering Krishna Leela. So I would say all of the above, just whatever brings you into Krishna consciousness. And if you like to think of Krishna Leela, then that's that's a blessing for you. Thank you. Anyone else would like to ask a question? Do you have any questions? Andy, this is your chance. I was inside translation, so I hope. What's your question? When Prabhupada was chanting his 16 rounds, was he chanting usually with um, his close um, devotees, or it was usually um, independently in his room? Prabhupada was extremely busy. He was sort of saving a planet. And so I would say Prabhupada just chanted Japa when he got the opportunity. So, you know, sometimes he would, you know, Prabhupada used to rise very early in the morning. Sometimes he would chant very early in the morning. He would chant sometimes in the morning walks. He would just be chanting. Sometimes I'd go in Prabhupada's room in the afternoon and he was chanting some rounds. And so I'd say in that sense, Prabhupada was like us. You, know, you just get your rounds done when, when you can. Uh, uh, who else would like to ask a question? This is your chance. Anybody else? Well, uh, question is, when is uh, what is the best time to chant Java? Uh, whenever you can chant it. I mean, I think we all know that chanting early in the morning tends to be really sublime. Um, it's the Brahma Mahurta, the world is very calm. All of the fruit of workers are helping us by sleeping. So, so the, uh, I, think, I think we've all experienced that. And then sometimes for various reasons, for many different reasons, sometimes we don't get around then early. And so we just, um, you know, gold is where you find it. The important thing is just, um, and of course, we all have our own experiences. We all have our own experiences. So, you know, the, the truth here is what works for you in, in, in terms of chanting good japa. I have a question. 
I have a question. No. Oh, Jyotipan uh, is is inspired with another question. Uh, yeah. I have a god brother who felt he was kind of fallen, and so he decided to chant uh, the Panchatapa mantra on his japa beats uh, for a while to try to, you know, purify himself and uh, approach the holy name. Uh, I mean, obviously it's not evil, but Prabhupada certainly wouldn't like it. Prabhupada kept saying, like, can you please just do what I'm telling you? Just calm down and do what I'm saying. So yeah, I mean, we shouldn't we shouldn't reinvent bhakti yoga. Prabhupada gave us the perfect process, and uh, I can understand maybe someone being desperate or wanting to try this, try that. But uh, you know, you know what they say: if everything else fails, read the directions. <laughs> so. Uh, I remember one time we were uh, we were doing a kirtan actually I think it was 1974 in Prabhupada's house in Vrindavan that was the first annual festival and so the first thing that the devotees completed was Prabhupada's house so um, no was that would that have been 74 yeah that's right we were taking the bus every night to pull the last on for the program so I remember uh, a godbrother of mine, I won't mention his name, but he, he started to lead the kirtan. And so he began to chant that one of the first verses of the Chaitanya Charitamrita Jaya Jaya Sri Chaitanya Jaya Nityananda, Jaya Dvaita Chandra Jaya Gora. And Prabhupada looked at him kind of, I mean, not literally, like, what the hell are you doing? You know, Prabhupada looked at him like, what are you doing? And just stopped it and said, just do the normal kirtan. Of course, there's an instruction which obviously didn't have much mileage in the Hare Krishna movement, but yeah, Prabhupada wanted to keep it very simple and it was beautiful. There was an incredible solidarity, uh, unity. When we had Prabhupada's simple program, we just did it. It, it was the most wonderful thing. Yes, please. So if I were to um, tell my grandma uh, she doesn't really understand anything and she's getting to the age where she constantly forgets uh, who we are and what I'm talking about, um, would it help for her to chant but not knowing Would it be helpful? I think though if you, if you tell her that this is good for you, and if she believes it's good for her, so even believing Krishna's name is good for me is very pious. And so, yeah, I would say, and, and of course you have to explain to her as much as you can, and you're the best judge of what the market will bear in that case. But yes, definitely. I would, you know, just talk to her and see and... And help her understand this is a wonderful name. It's a name of a you know someone. That, yeah, just whatever you can tell her. And then if she forgets the next time, you know, so much the better because she gets more credit. That means every time she does it, she's making a new decision, and uh, so she's kind of uh, you know getting all kinds of bonus points. Thank you. <laughs> Very good. <laughs>
Um, oh, I forgot. Oh yeah, when I was uh, very back in '72, I was very ill. I went to the hospital. The Prabhupada wrote to me. He said, "Oh, now you're in the hospital. This is the best thing to to heal." Is that you have lots of time now, you can just chant Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. So he linked my healing physically with the Maha Mantra. But later on, I've come to, you know, kind of divorce the, the idea that chanting Hare, you know, Hare Krishna is for the purpose of getting better health. It's right, right. Well, the way I look at that is that. Prabhupada, with his superior vision, I, I would say Prabhupada was not necessarily enunciating a general rule, like not feeling well, chant Hare Krishna. You want to feel more pep in the morning, you know, chant Hare Krishna, or got the common cold, chant Hare Krishna. I don't, I don't, think, I don't think that's exactly what Prabhupada was doing. Because here's the way I would look at it. Krishna puts his devotees sometimes into trouble to wake them up, to remind them, like, you know, get back on track. And so Prabhupada, with his superior vision, he could, he could see that Krishna had given you this health problem to kind of wake you up a little bit. And therefore, by chanting Hare Krishna sincerely, you would be fulfilling the purpose of Krishna making you sick. And so punishment, when enlightened people punish, it's always for a higher purpose, for a good purpose. And when that purpose has been achieved, the punishment has no further utility. And so the more you could chant Hare Krishna and get in really strong Krishna consciousness, then the Christian would say, okay, you got he got the point. So now you don't need to be sick. Wow, that's a wonderful way of looking at it. I never thought of it from that perspective. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, I always thought, okay, Jan Hare Krishna is really good for your health. But then later on, I realized that that, uh, empirically, I wasn't seeing that happen necessarily. So it, you know, it confused me as to why I was actually given that letter, given those words, but that makes sense. Very good sense. Thank you. Uh, anybody else have any um, questions or questions? We've got, you've exhausted everybody from, for, they don't have any more questions. You've just answered all of their doubts, which have been slayed like demons. <laughs> We're all going to start chanting 16 rounds, I'm sure. And it is I <laughs> so Ananda Leela, we don't have any questions from other places, do we? No, not. Now that I've seen. Okay. Well, uh, pleasure to do business with you. Okay. Well. Oh, actually, you uh, did. Something came up. Pleasure uh -oh. to do business with you. Okay. Well. One second. Sent you on WhatsApp.
Okay, I just got a question. Let's see, or you could die, which means another body, better body to continue with your service. Yeah? Yeah, it reminds me of that Monty Python movie, The Holy Grail, where they're, you know, they're these creatures getting all their limbs cut off. And they say, you gotta look on the sunny side. Of the... So, yeah, so yeah. I mean, everything Christian does is good. Christian is a perfect Lord, a perfect master, a perfect friend. And so whatever Christian chooses for us, is actually the absolute best possible thing for us. No matter how confusing sometimes or dismaying our destiny may appear to us, ultimately, if we really are trying to take shelter of Krishna, whatever happens really is for the best. Now, Krishna knows perfectly what is best for us. That's a tough one. It is, but that's, you know, that's gold. You know, it's, it's like that, that, that verse in the Chaitanya Charitam, that Shraddha uh, Shabdeh, beautiful verse. Shraddha Shabdeh, which means by the word Shraddha, which generally means faith. Shraddha Shabdeh, by the word Shraddha, Vishwasa Kehe, we mean Vishwasa, confidence. Faith means a confidence which is that Krishna bhakti koile by rendering loving service to Krishna, sarva karma krita hoy, all actions will be done. Every duty will be done. It's just like Sanjaya says at the end of the Gita, the one who hears this with faith becomes krita kritya, which means their duty is done. Their duty is done. And so we have to have that faith that if I'm really taking shelter of Krishna, whatever happens, it's absolutely the best possible thing that can happen in my ultimate self-interest. I do have one final question. Yes. This might be a little controversial, but if a ISKCON guru, someone who's authorized by... <laughs> By the uh, non-objection process. I know, uh, which, which was your favorite. It's kind of like back, you know, going into the front door backward. Uh, <laughs> if they see a disciple who's very sincere, likes to serve, but uh, only can give like eight rounds a day, and they say, I'll, I'll initiate you if you only chant, if you promise to chant eight rounds a day. And their spiritual master, being Srila Prabhupada, has given them the vrat of 16 rounds per day. But they see this particular individual and they reduce that amount. Yeah. That bona fide. No. I mean, actually, you know, there's a workaround, which is called a nickname. What I tell people when I have people who are, you know, would like to be my disciples and they can't quite make the uh, sadhana curve, then when I, what I tell them is that, look, you and I have a relationship. You know, you are trying to assist me and I'm trying to help you. And so the relationship is a fact. The relationship is a fact. And 
you know, I'm praying to Krishna to help you. And so I think I think we should respect the sanctity of Prabhupada's explicit initiation bell. And we shouldn't mess with that. At the same time, there are ways like nicknames. You know, this is not an official initiation name, but it's a nickname. And and um, and there's a relationship. There, I mean, there's a real relationship. So I think they're, they're, it's very easy to encourage that person in spiritual life and to cultivate a, a very strong relationship between a guru and a, a, someone who's aspiring without uh, disrespecting formality of Prabhupada's initiation process. Okay, so basically no. Yeah, because if you say, well, I have to be merciful, yeah, but there are ways to be merciful without disrespecting Prabhupada's standard. Right, he is the Acharya, so he set the standard for that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. We're definitely on the same page on that one. Well, thank you so much for your kind appearance here in the Pyramid House. We, you know, you're always welcome when you, uh, when this whole, uh, I hate to call it a pandemic, I don't know what to call it, scamdemic, pandemic, whatever <laughs> you, whenever it's over, we want to see more and more people arrive. Maharaj, thank you. All glories to your service. Thank you all very much. It was really a pleasure to spend some time with you. Hope to see you again soon. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.